Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome, welcome everybody. Welcome to the show. And uh, today we have a very special guest. And judging from his accent, I believe, oh my gosh, am I going out on a line here? I- Irish? Oh, oh, it's okay. The Scottish bar, oh, you know. Scottish. Gosh. Did you know that, Greg? No, I did not know that. We need to do hand signals. We need to do hand signals for Irish or Scottish. But, you know, I, okay, I have a question before we jump in and actually do the show. I have a question. When people when people um, mistake me for American, I don't get upset because I do have a very neutral accent after being overseas for 20 years. I don't say a boot and a, um, except when I'm with other Canadians. So, John, when somebody says, hey, you sound Irish, <laughs> what is your reaction? I think I feel quite complimented, to be honest. I have Ooh. Irish blood in me, like... Um, the the Celtic connection. Uh, we do have broadly similar accents. People tend oh, to visit broadly, the- broadly. I just heard it. Okay. Oh. See, I hadn't heard any R's. I should have got you to say your name. Then you was a John Reed Stubbs, and then I would have been like, <laughs> "Hey, that's us." <laughs> so, John, um, tell us a little bit about where you're dialing in from and. Why are you on ITP? Like, uh, are you an international teacher outside of Scotland? I am. I'm currently dialing in from the beautiful, although I say beautiful, it's currently raining, which it doesn't rain for very much of the year, but we are entering rainy season. I am phoning from Koh Samui in Thailand, where I have lived for a year and a half, but I've lived in Thailand for four years and I work at an international school on Koh Samui. They have an international school on Koh Samui. I've heard... Greg, have you heard of this place? No, I have not. Kosamui? I have not. I'm, I'm interested to hear more. Yeah, can you <laughs> can you kind of for for even me the geographically challenged of I believe Ko is an island and I believe it would be southwest of Bangkok, like on the west coast. Is it near this is, Phuket? Oh no, yeah, it's on the right hand side. Exactly. It's in the right. Gulf of Aden. It's it's in the Gulf exactly. of Aden, right, John? Yes, so we have, um, you have your islands, like Phuket is the biggest island. Yeah. Uh, Koh Samui is in the Gulf of Thailand, so the weather's a bit less extreme, um, the, the waves are flatter, and you have Koh Phangan and Koh Tao, and Koh Tao's famous for diving, Koh Phangan for partying, and Koh Samui is kind of like, I guess, like luxury, but it's the biggest one, it also has an airport, um, very well connected, it has a really great lifestyle i I mean i have heard of it uh as as a sort of destination island and so that's why i wasn't surprised you know to to see it written like it wasn't the first time i've seen it but i have never in my 20 something years overseas never heard of an international school on kosamui so can you well, tell us about and, can you tell us about that yeah. international school? I work for a school which is Cambridge accredited. It has been it began its life as a Thai school and then made like a Thai public school and then made a transition 
to a private setting and then so started with an English programme and then became um, fully accredited. It's now fully WASC accredited international school with a very international um, student base and uh, teacher cohort. There has been a large amount of growth recently. The schools, you might hear about this in Phuket and in Bangkok, but especially on Samui because of recent events like, for example, the war in Ukraine has meant that um, Thailand is one, of, is, is one of the places that Russians can get a visa-free access to at the moment. And so we've seen a lot of Russians coming in. You know, our student base has reflected that. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been working in Thailand for five years now, but I began my life as an educator doing TEFL. So my, which is, if, if I guess some of you may already know, but that's teaching English as a foreign language, unqualified or at least unqualified in terms of an official teaching qualification. Well, let's clarify. Um, you, you, you likely had a university degree, correct? Yes. 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 I did. So um, you started out as a TEFL teacher with, what was your university degree in? I did an undergraduate in, because we can do undergraduates in Scotland in law with politics. Ah. And then, okay, so let's back up a little bit. What made you decide to go overseas and start teaching English? So I had a great time in university. In university, I studied abroad in the Netherlands. I went on a a British Council study China exchange in my final year in Beijing. And just these these experiences of like opening up the borders, you know, to something more out there. Then I came back, finished my degree and started working in a car rental company and it was not um it was okay it was fine and the money was good and for a year or so it was ticking the box but uh, basically I, it was a friend who took the job took a TEFL job abroad and after speaking to them you know I asked them about 6 months down the line how are you getting on and i mean well, the response was pretty emphatic that there's something really great out there and you should, you should go and experience it. Where was your friend teaching at the time? In a Thai public school with a um, TEFL certificate in the south of Thailand. And so I joined the same school. as, they, as And this is, um, I've actually just written about this recently. And the the, the, the pros, I mean, the, the, especially the, the TEFL process, it's so much about who you know and not what you know. And so I was just incredibly lucky to have someone with a position in a school who then, you know, it's like they need teachers every year, essentially. And so I was like, this sounds fantastic. I'm going to, I'm going to try it out. And within six months, I was in Nakonsi Tamarat, which is a very traditional provincial Thai city in the south of Thailand on the mainland. John, I'm amazed at how very similar our beginnings were because I was becoming a teacher in Canada way back in 1995, 1996. I wasn't ready to teach in Canada, so I started applying everywhere and I was sending out letters because this was really a little bit before the internet started. I mean, it was around, but not many people were using it. So I was sending letters, letters, letters with my CVs to Taiwan, Korea, Japan. Those were the three big ones in the 90s. I got a postcard from this school in Seoul 
that said, hi, my friend forwarded me your CV and we want to hire you or, well, we want to interview you. So I get this postcard and God knows how long it took to get in the mail, but there was a phone number on it. So I called the phone number in the right time in Korea and she answered and she, you know, basically just spoke to me for a few minutes and said, can you come on the plane tomorrow? And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I was packing up. Wait, wait. You you got a postcard and you got on a plane. Oh my so, god. I mean so, this is before spam and everything, but I'm thinking you got a postcard and you said, "Okay, I'll jump on a plane and go." Well, you know, you you go with your gut instincts, right? John, like you you just yes. feel like yes. when you when you're talking with somebody on the phone and I mean, they did send me the funds for I don't know how, I can't remember or maybe they sent me the the plane ticket, but I know that I wasn't paying out of pocket for pretty much anything. So worst case scenario, I was getting on a plane, going to Korea. And by the way, at that time, you flew Japan Airlines from, so Ottawa, Toronto, Toronto, Tokyo, stayed overnight. It's all paid for by Japan Airlines. Food vouchers. I karaoke'd my butt off that night because I mean I'm in Japan for the first time. No, no karaoke. Like you know, you land in Narita and then you and then you get on that shuttle bus to bring you into town. And I was there with a couple aircraft mechanics, and they were they were old hats at all this, so they were bringing me around the whole place. And I've I'd never been in Japan, so I was like, okay, let's go karaokeing. It's like, welcome to the rest of your life. But like you say, you just take opportunity, and if somebody offers, six months later is not a big deal. You know, six months later, you're on the plane, you're heading to Thailand. People think you're crazy at home. Oh, I mean, yes, I remember, because at that time, I was, um, I managed to get promoted quite quickly in the previous job that I had from university, and so my mum... Um, is was fantastic. She was like, "Do it, do it tomorrow. Just you know, get it out of your system. Have the get out of your system. I mean, I'm still doing it five years <laughs> later. But like, you know, have a great time." My dad was. I mean, my dad was understanding, but he was a bit more like, "You have a. You're doing great. You have a company car, and you're in your mid twenties. Like, what more do you want from life? You know." And I was like. Um, I have other, you know, that's great, but you know, there is quite a bit more out there for me. I yeah. Hope. On the top five list of, you know, accomplishments you want. I don't know if like mid, mid-sized sedan is one of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, it was more like, it was more like a subcompact to be honest. But <laughs> Well, I would, I would just have on my resume that, you know, I jumped in a plane because of a postcard. And sang karaoke with a bunch of mechanics in Japan. I think that's fantastic. I did not know that about you, JP. <laughs> I don't I'm know telling about you, John, there's all I'm... kinds of stories. And but but that's John, not... so you landed in Thailand, and we're um, so I'm curious to know how that onboarding experience was because as a TEFL teacher, is it different from an international teacher? For example, was there the head of school there landed, you know, with your sign? So tell us a little bit about the actual arrival as a TEFL teacher. Actually, I made the journey with a friend of mine who also got the bug, who, and she was saying, this sounds great, let's go together. And so that was great for me because I would be arri- traveling with someone and arriving with someone. But it's a long journey from Scotland, um, connecting in the Middle East and I think by the time we got on the local flight, 
to Nkonsi Tamarat, the only foreigners on the flight, you know, it's because we're going to like quite a remote part of Thailand. It was the last flight of the night. And Nkonsi Tamarat is a like airport that is really, I mean, I think it has three gates and they're all in the same room. Um, <laughs> and and so you're, you're just kind of like dumped out onto the street. And then this taxi t- took us away out to thankfully a friend that we were staying with for the first few days. I just remember, like, really, it's really dark. There's like, it's so much darker than what you remember, it's what you're used to in, in Scotland. Like, at nighttime, it's so dark. Yeah, and they so, don't have the big uh, overhead lights on the highways. Yeah, and there's no gantries, mm. big advertised holdings, nothing like that. And so, we're kind of just, thankfully, our friend is waiting for us, and we're just like, just spat out into the night with all, with all, with all this laden down with all this luggage. And we are just basically told, come in in two days' time to the office. You will meet your boss. You will meet all of the local staff. And you will be teaching the day after. Wow. Now, this is having never been in a classroom before. And I don't know if I, if you've ever done a TEFL certification, but it is not the same um, it's not the same process as what you go through when you actually qualify to become a teacher. So I was really, really worried and nervous that I'd made a terrible mistake for the first two weeks, I think. I remember the first time before going into the classroom, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with them? All I know is how to, all I know is, all I know is the past participles of certain things I'd never even thought about in English before. I don't know anything useful. What am I going to teach them? Yeah, because as English speakers, we don't, I I know for myself, we didn't learn grammar in school. And I was a bilingual Canadian. I was growing up in French immersion because we were all native English speakers in the class and learning French. We were learning the French grammar, but we didn't have any English grammar. Yeah, exactly. And we were, I mean, we're essentially like, here are a bunch of dated textbooks have a flick through them and in you go (laughs) and um i mean it it was probably the scary genuinely because there's a different fear like i would have been much more comfortable if it had been a room of adults but see that moment where it's like a room of 10 year old kids and they're just like off you go have fun (laughs) teach them something and you're just like okay great well, I guess here goes. Well, I guess, John, the cool thing about this is that there are other teachers out there that are in the international field and at great schools now that started out similar to how you did and just jumped in, going to a country, not knowing the language, nothing, just landing and not knowing what you're getting into. It's not the way that I would do it anymore. And the longer you're in these schools and now you're at a school, international school, and it's out of the TEFL you're going to have a different lens to look on recruiting. But it's exciting to think that you went back and did all that, right? You landed and you're like, uh, we'll see you in two days. And you're like, what <laughs> What do you mean you'll see, I'll see my boss in two days? Where's the grocery store? Where do I go to the bathroom? How do I say bathroom? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, by the, way, by the way, here's a scooter. You better learn how to drive it fast because wow. it's now your only mode of transport. You know, like I've never oh. driven one before. But Thailand at least is a left-hand drive, right? So at least that was familiar. Yes, yes, you're right. Um, if it had been Vietnam, then I would have been in a whole other, a whole <laughs> other ball game of bother. But um, no, um, I mean to do that for three years, and obviously um, with not the same, not really any any professional development or kind of support around me, and then to decide 
actually, I'm I really enjoy this, and I'm getting I'm deriving like I'm I'm finishing each day quite energized rather than absolutely knackered, which I was in my previous job. I'm feeling like a nice sense of well being from doing this. Maybe I should look at going home and getting this professional certification, and that's what I did. And, in 2021, I went home and So qualified. let's talk about this because I know a lot of our listeners are right now unqualified teachers or wanting to get into teaching, but they have a degree that's not a teaching degree. So can you kind of step us through, because I'm very curious to hear, was it a PGCE? Um, yes, well, we call it the PGDE in Scotland, but it's the same thing. We just Postgraduate Diploma of Education. Can exactly, you tell us yes. about, so when you started applying, if you got in right away, did you have to write any kind of qualifying exams? Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah, I mean... Uh, first, I have to qualify this by saying that I am incredibly fortunate to be Scottish because our system, our education system and everything is distinct from the rest of the UK. And so I was able to apply for funding. My whole PGDE course was paid for. By um, whom? By the, well, I just didn't pay for it. I mean, by taxpayers. <laughs> by somebody, and, and somebody out there. Some Scottish person paid for it. Elon yeah, Musk, no, yeah, Elon Musk, did you pay for yeah. John's, like who paid yeah, to I mean, the government then? Yes. Um, okay. It's. I mean, it's basically socialism in action. But um, like, you know, I uh, was very, very fortunate because um, I was able to apply for that. Uh, I applied to different schools, but they were all in the town. I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. And so um, I applied to schools in that area. We had to do an interview process. The course is designed for people that have done different undergraduates and then decided later that teaching is for them. And I decided that elementary education, I could possibly have went the secondary route and maybe chosen something like um, we have a subject in Scotland called modern studies, which combines sociology, politics and economics. But I, I already knew that I wanted to work abroad. That was the main reason for this. And so and, and my, all my previous experience was working in a primary and an elementary school. And so I applied for three different universities, um, their elementary programme. I got my number one choice, which was the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. I was interviewed and then within three months, I was sitting in this big lecture hall, everyone wearing masks because it was during COVID, being inaugurated into this, um, into this course. And I was really, really, it was a great experience. What kind of questions did they ask you in the interview? I'm curious, like kind of motivation for becoming a teacher, that kind of thing. I think that having the TEFL experience was really, really helpful because, I mean, you stand out from the crowd so much just for having done it. You know, I did all my interviews when I was in Thailand already. And so to just say to these people, like to say to my interviewers, I am currently working as a foreign language teacher in Thailand meant that you just had like, I think there was a 20 minute interview and you just had 20 minutes worth of material right there, you know? And I was actually, I was offered the my position in, informally by my interviewer before even the, you know, it went to the final, they, they said, you know, this experience and 
um, all of that, it, it's perfect. So if you're doing TEFL right now and you're thinking that you would like to apply for a course like that, I mean, there's no way that it could be a negative in my view. Fantastic. It seems like the kind of path that a lot of people go from and other people I know that are in teaching internationally also went in the United States, went with Peace Corps where it's not teaching English, but you're going in, you might end up teaching English or digging a well or something for two years in some country that you don't even remember the name of until you get mm -hmm. there and, or you're in the middle of Africa and you're teaching some things. That's, that's what people think international teachers do right now. A lot of people I talk to are like, so you teach English? And I'm like, no, 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 that's like Peace Corps stuff, right? And yeah. that's TEFL and it's different. I mean, I teach with with American textbooks, and I teach a curriculum from uh, one of the bigger, one of the English speaking home countries like Australia or British or American or Canadian. It's a very interesting story of how you got into the international teaching, and it's very prudent to talk about this: how you went from TOEFL to get your certification post grad, and bringing up the PGC as PGD, PGDE. And I have seen I have seen really interesting stories from people in a similar position to me, who did the you you'll know that there are now options for doing it from abroad the PGCE I with an oh um, actually I think it's yeah I PGCE at least yes, that's what I've yes, seen yes, yeah so the I in this case Greg is not iPod or i you know ipad oh, it's or it's not apple it's not it's not an <laughs> I, at first i was like is this an apple affiliated pgc but no i learned that the i was international but it is a little i isn't it that's right yeah, yeah. and i i know and i've had numerous friends um who have went down that route and it allows you do basically all of what because there's a large part of that component that involves you going into a classroom you're just doing that, but at distance, you know, and so you still have a UK um, uh, university that is grading everything you do, but all of your work and everything is done uh, in that international setting. So say you're doing a TEFL job currently, um, or you're working in a, an international school whilst working towards a certification, you can still graduate with this, um, with this, I mean, world unlocking uh, credential, you know, and so yeah, I've got friends working in Bangkok now, and and um, in Brunei, and in the mid elsewhere in the Middle East that have managed to go down that route. And can you tell me, for those listeners that are UK citizens out there, did you transfer your PGDE to a qualifying teaching status, a QTS? So, Greg, this is kind of the national teacher certification for the whole UK. It's called a QTS. And with a QTS, you can. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so um, basically what the PGDE or CE course gives you is that first year on the QTS path. The second year, however, in Scotland looks slightly different. You're on probation. It's the same. It's called the QTS year in England and Wales, but in Scotland it's called probation. When you do that year, it's it's basically like, being on your when you're in the university the university stage you go onto these placements in school you're basically on placement for the whole year of that QTS year um, now it's optional and it's only 
required if you really in the future want to teach in Scotland or in England and Wales. Um, and for me, I knew, especially after doing my placement years in Scotland, I knew that teaching in Scotland was not going to be in my future radar, particularly. And so um, I made the decision after completing the PGCE that I would just go abroad straight away. Um, and so I was able to find a school that would um, take me on as a newly qualified teacher. Obviously, you need extra support. I mean, I have been, this is only my second year as a qualified teacher. So I still have, I lean heavily on all my colleagues and I have a great head of faculty in my primary school um, that I need to always work with. And I mean, you never stop learning as a, as a teacher, right? You never stop learning. The good ones. The good ones. You learn something in those two Mm -hmm. years. Wow. I have a question. I have a comment then. And I I think it's very important for listeners to understand, especially the earlier uh, or the the ones that are learning right now before they get their degree or their certification, is that you're not waiting around to get it before you're applying to teach at a school. You, in your case, you got the certification, but then you wanted to get the QTS. And mm-hmm. for me, it was very similar. I was in studies in university still, and I wanted to uh, to apply. So I applied to schools, just letting them know, I'm in the direction of getting my certificate in six months. Will you hire me? And they mm-hmm. appreciated that because some people think, well, I'm going to need to get my degree first. But if you're on track and you're already on track to graduate or to earn that certificate, it's really important to start looking right away. These schools overseas, a lot of them will honor the fact that you're a go-getter. You're the one that's not waiting around before you have it in hand, but you're in the process of getting it. So therefore, that's my point. Just get out there and sell yourself, showing Mm -hmm. that you have this uh, plan ahead. Yes, I agree. You can be, I think you can be, I mean, it's such an exciting prospect for me once I realised this world is out there. I know you're talking about the best kept secret in education. Um, it doesn't seem, I, I feel like it doesn't matter how many people you tell. There's still so many people that you want to tell it to and share the story with. I mean, I'm just at the beginning of the journey, you know, I'm just at the beginning of that. And that excitement, I still feel uh, like when I see a list of jobs listings and you just have every country there, you know. Would you like to go to Fiji? Would you like to go to Oman? Would you like to go to Argentina? You could. Not saying you will, but you could. And just the, the just the thought of like, it's just so exciting. Like you said, I think actually at the beginning, it can be a little, almost a little bit paralyzing. There's so much out there and you kind of want to do it all. And you're worried about if I if I make this choice, will I close off that school? And if I make, you know, if I, if I do this, um, if I don't do my... QTS in, in, the, in England, for example, what does that mean I'm arbitrarily limiting my choices in the future? Actually, you just need to get out there, you know, and when and get that experience, get used to working in a different country and everything else will fall into place. The right opportunities will come for you. And maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just, a posit- maybe I'm just toxic positivity, but that's how I feel. <laughs> That's what we attract. We attract people that are toxically positive. We need that because people need to hear that it works, right? Go ahead, JP. Well, and what you're teaching, John, is is the world really is open up to you. You know, it's it's English, it's elementary, 
every single international school needs that. So you really do have the, you know, the Atlas A to Z available to you. Whereas uh, for me, for example, when I was a French teacher, there was probably just one position in every school and it's not even every school that offers French. Interesting. Yeah. Piggybacking on what you just said, JP, he does have the world as his oyster because now John, you have two years of teaching at international school. That's a bare minimum for mm-hmm. the like the whole spectrum of schools. And mm-hmm. you have a there's a few more hurdles that will get you into some of the schools, like there's IB or PYP or MYP, that whole IBO. That's another hurdle if you choose to go that way. But your bare minimum of having a certificate and having experience of two years is taken care of. And that's one of the largest steps, right? My first two years of teaching, I couldn't even believe I got a job. And I stayed at that school before I recruited for another school. But uh, you have the oyster right now. It's in your hand. You get to choose which school you want to go to next. Yes. And and I think like what people don't realize is that they, they, they I think they have it in their mind that these schools are just um, th- th- there's there's a there's a limited number and that they are like set. And once people move into these schools, they stay for 10 years. And that doesn't even happen at the best schools. You know, they're constantly hiring and uh, there's constant everyone starts where I am. And they they might they might move out of education or they move up the food chain. And if you move up that food chain, then that means that the jobs underneath, you know, become open again. And so everyone who's starting, I had this I had a few people that I know at this um, at the beginning of their experiences in the industry were were kind of wondering like, well, you know, it just seems that it's so full. And if you've ever seen a recruiter's job postings board in November of any year, then you'll know that there's hundreds every year of positions. Yeah, it brings brings me up to um, what Greg said once in one of his podcasts is that we're not hired by a company working for that company and moving around at their whim around the world. We're freelancers. We're, we're the ones in the driver's seat who gets to decide where we go and how long we stay. And in that case, I mean, I think that's the best case scenario because you're really choosing what fits you best. Wait, like you're choosing the right fit, right? You're trying to find the right fit. www.amazon.com, finding the right fit. Ken's not here to make fun of me, right? But (laughs) But we can do it. We can still do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for the for the uh, input there. <laughs> All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITPexpat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITPexpat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITPexpats, that's with an S, ITPexpats. 
X Pats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. So, John, can you tell us what um, now you're entering your second year, correct? Oh, and by the way, yes. did did you um, in Thailand? I know sometimes they do the January to January school year. Are you in September or in January? September. Okay. So, like which the, which like is great because I think I'm gonna say I'm gonna go out on a limb and I say like 95% of the schools have that calendar, whereas some of South America, some of Australia, well, I think probably all of Australia and New Zealand, but it's sort of the Southern hemisphere, but even in the Southern hemisphere, some of the schools are very flexible with the entry and the exit of teachers, but you're in a very uh, distinct advantage being in a country that's usually January to January, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even in the Thai public system that has private schooling, this is... um, they they're like April to yeah April to April so oh, that's even more yeah. yeah they do it on trimester too so they're in like yeah. three segments of of mm-hmm. teaching so it's you're right JP it's it's the John's at a school an international school in that realm that we are in uh, a lot of us that that start like an American or British system that's that September to to June and then you have the summertime and. There's a lot of, of, of flavors of that, of course, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where you go next, John. I mean, yeah, I'm, so, I'm not well, saying you're going to leave now, but exactly. That's my question. Like, are you, are you planning on, are you recruiting now or are you thinking of staying a third year? Um, I am very, I'm like completely at this point, 100% on the fence. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's the best place to be. Um, I have uh, a search profile. I have like started with recruiting. This is my first time entering that kind of sphere myself. And so I'm kind of making my way around that working out. Like I've listened to your pod- podcast a lot and um, listening to the, the sequences about job fairs, job fairs sound, especially in Northern Iowa. Ooh, <laughs> yes, you got <laughs> it. Did I nail it? Did I? Yes. Um, you I don't did. Know yeah, the wasteland of Iowa. There's <laughs> the a frozen in the, the middle frozen of frozen wasteland. Yeah. Do you, have, you need to go? It's a great experience. <laughs> do you have winter? Do you have winter wear, John? Because you're gonna need it. You're gonna need the coat. You're gonna need. <laughs> here's my Canadian. The toque. You're gonna need <laughs> the beanie, as the Americans call it. The the scarf. The gloves. Have you got all this? Um, I'm Scottish, so yes, but not here. I would have to go home first and pick it up on the way there. (laughs) Well, you have so many options, John. And if you have listened to this podcast or read the book that I wrote, it's about there are so many options for you. There's the GRC is is in in Dubai and now in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And these recruiting fairs, it's the time to think about it just to keep your option open. You don't have to necessarily tell your boss you're leaving, but you say you want to look at a new job possibility, see where your worth is. Go to the Bangkok fair for ISS or go to your, you're in search associates. So you already have your profile and plan on maybe going to one of those. And I tell you what, can I give you one piece of advice that's free here online? But please, if you sign up for one and you already have a job, 
before you go to the job fair and say, some people will say, I didn't even go to the job fair because I got a job before I left and I canceled my job fair. I would suggest going to the job fair anyway and just keeping yourself off the market and letting people know that and just rub elbows with all of the people that are there and get to know some of the other teachers it, if you already bought the ticket. Not yes. by, by any means, if you can't afford it, please don't. But uh, if you already bought the tickets, turn it into a trip, spend the weekend getting to know other teachers and talk to heads of school in the restaurant, the bar, during the day when they have free time, you know, et cetera. Anyway, that's my advice. JP, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you, no, if you have the option and the, the funds and the means to go to a job fair with that job in your back pocket, you won't be necessarily interviewing. But I was also going to say you can go to the school presentations. So you can yes. do your research for schools down the road. It doesn't even have to be your next school. But what I career. did, yeah, mm. what I did when um, I had a job offer uh, in my back pocket, I went to a job fair and I knew I was going, so I knew I was going to Oman. And I ended up going to all the schools that were around Oman so I could see where I was going to vacation because I wanted <laughs> to see what is Bahrain like? What is Kuwait like? What is Dubai like? And I had never been to any of these places. So I purposely mapped out my schedule to see every single school presentation I could of the Middle East. So you could, for example, get that going. We, we are freelancers and because we're freelancers, we don't have a conference to go to. We don't have um, a yearly meetup of all the sales reps. We don't have, you know, and so, yes, I don't think I realise the importance of fairs. And I think that um, you've spoke about fairs before in other podcast episodes, but I don't think you can, um, and obviously the famous Northern Iowa State one, I, I don't think you can overestimate how good it is to get in a room with all these people who are doing the same thing. They're on the same path. And even if you just meet a few people and get their names it can you know it can change your career in the future well i tell you what i went to an iss fair the most recent one i was at a few years back was in i think it was atlanta or dc i can't remember where i was i'd have to look back on my notes but the important thing is i went there and the night before the conference started the school had already showed up i had already interviewed with the school remotely and wanted to meet the superintendent. I had already bought the tickets. They had told me I don't have to come. They didn't say you have a job, but they had told me in the interview on video, you don't have to come to the job fair. But I said, oh no, I'm coming. And I got there and they gave me the offer that night before the job fair started. So I stayed at the job fair for the next four days. I just helped other people that were new to job fairs. I met new people. I didn't interview at all. I just had the greatest time. And, and I'm, I think there's very few of us that would like to do that as a, I don't know, as a side gig. I would love to go to just job fairs and hang out. It really is amazing. And yeah. it's, it's costly depending on where you're coming from and what yeah. your situation financially is. But the rewards are far beyond just getting a job. And that's why yes. I ended up writing a book about it. Like, how do you succeed in it? Etc. And if you haven't read my book, John, I'm going to send you one. Just I'll send you a copy anyway. 
my mom's read it, but I'll send you a copy and see if you like it. Uh, that's a wonderful, yeah, I love this whole topic. You see me get excited and it, so is, you know, JP's sitting there nodding and you're nodding. And so you'll, you'll be at your job fairs and you'll be doing it for years to come because you're still young. Yes. 100%. Yeah. And, and yeah. the thing is, I mean, you're in the perfect geographic location, short of being in Bangkok itself. But I mean, you're in the country where so many job fairs happen. GRC, as Greg mentioned, already has a fair coming to Thailand each year now. They, they, yeah. they keep the one in Dubai, but they also have the one in Bangkok. And then mm-hmm. ISS comes, search comes. Search so is there. So yeah. many, you know, so many options for you. But you know what I wanted to say? The job fairs are not the only way to connect to your fellow international teachers. So when you talked about the sales rep conference, I thought this was really interesting because I've never heard it called or, or sort of been compared to that. But I want to talk about professional development and the conferences that you can go to to get, you know, workshops and or certified in some areas and, you know, international baccalaureate organization puts on workshops and things like that. But then even bigger conferences like uh, NISA or AIRCOS, where you are, I bet you, if you were to look up E-A-R-C-O-S, you would find they'd have a fall, a winter, maybe even a spring conference for international teachers and you can sometimes even get your school to pay for that because if you have the PD fund uh, to access in your school, if they have a, a set stipend and you simply apply and you you try and find a workshop that aligns with what you're teaching. So if they have some kind of new elementary education type of workshops, you can sometimes get funding directly from your school so that you can attend these conferences and meet new teachers, other uh, heads of school. You can also not just attend them, but if your school isn't willing to pay or pony up the full amount, you can apply ahead of time to actually teach one of the PDs and share your knowledge as an educator in a field that you want. You send a proposal in, so then they cover part of the cost of the actual entrance fee to be there. They're two or three days. They might be five days. And it varied, it depends, you know, and I went to one in Argentina and ended up doing a technology one. And that was for ASA, which is the American Association of South American Schools. It's a wonderful opportunity. And I love that you brought that up, JP, because that's the only way to get PD is, is our schools. Sometimes your school will have its own, depending on if it's a bigger school or not. And they might have a district of international schools around them, not a district like they're all connected, but they might play each other in sports and then they get together and one school hosts a small little regional. So I think that's a great point. We haven't talked a lot about that on the ITP, but it is one of those one of those only ways to get PD officially. One other one, if I can mention this, if you ever get a chance, since you're elementary, John, you ever get a chance to go to the responsive classroom. It's like going back into college for basics, but it's just about great teaching. And the, I went to the very first one in England. They had one in London over the summer. It was a five-day responsive classroom session one. And they have like one and two and three. I loved it. I had so much fun. And I was getting to know people from all over the world to join responsive classroom. It's a U.S.-based type thing. But mm-hmm. you would enjoy it I, as an elementary especially. 
So about great teaching. Oh, I am um, just in the past, like, te- I mean, that the past five minutes, amazing information. I'm like scribbling away frantically here, <laughs> which is, which is excellent being able to take like, because it's not just me benefiting, although I'm scribbling away here, everyone listening. Well, and the good news, a lot of these are in Bangkok. So again, you're poised to be able to take advantage of your location right now, rather mm-hmm. than say, for example, flying to the UK, although that could be a, a you know, a segue for a home vacation. And then, but you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no reason why you would need to fly around the world simply because a lot of them come to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. So you, you would be superbly poised to be able to attend these for very cheaply. And I mean, some of the experts that come to these things, like the keynote speaker, of course, usually is is someone very well known to education, especially international education. But then each day they have a keynote speaker. So now you're getting to listen to some of the geniuses and the minds that have written some amazing books that help train us as teachers. And now you're getting to see them live. I, I fangirl quite a bit when I get to see the two gentlemen that wrote uh, Understanding by Design, I got to do their workshop. And I'm completely blanking on their names right now. But when you're getting training from the person or the people that have written the books that are training people or people reading the books and then training, and now you're getting to meet the authors, it's it's really exciting. And it's fantastic, PD. John, not only that, but Let's go back to the idea of asking your school for funding to take you to one of these PD conferences from uh, NISA or from IRCOS or something like that, right? What you do is you sign up for it, and then before you pay for it, you ask your school if they would sponsor you to go and represent their school at the regional conference and bring it back and do a PD for your staff when you come back. So that it makes the school look good, you represent, and they are more willing. Instead of just saying, give me money, you're saying, I'm bringing something back to the school. And that's your personality anyway. You learn something, you share it. Yes, because we're teachers, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, And I can totally see why that conversation is a completely different conversation from I want to pad out my CV. Give me money. <laughs> give me yeah, you know, exactly. And and actually, that would be that would be so interesting because you would learn so much. And then you know, the most effective way of learning it yourself is trying to teach other people. No, you've heard that before. So I am open to the prospect of that, and very excited to hear that. By accident, I have won a watch by the sounds of things by being located in in Thailand. The ITP watch. There you go. You're bling, right? (laughs) But you got to pay for it in a way. One of my favorite questions is, do you have some kind of a harmless but fun police story? (laughs) Mm, Nothing um, incriminating, but something harmless and fun or a custom story. um, Or a custom story. I do have a custom story, but who it is. Uh, yes, no, it's actually, it's not incriminating because it's not about me. It's about the person I was traveling with, which is perfect. <laughs> she will know exactly who it is when she listens to this. Um, there are certain things in Thailand that um, that you might not expect uh, that are actually forbidden. And one of those things are um, uh, how to... Uh, Self-pleasuring devices. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, 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 do you know where this is going? Um, 
And I get a feeling that I I just can't believe it. Okay, let's hear yes, it. Yes, um, you know you know it's coming, but it doesn't make it any less excruciating to hear. <laughs> she had packed it into her uh, big case, which she had picked up from the baggage carousel when we were coming back into Thailand, and was randomly selected perfectly to put it through the customs gate on the way in through back through Bangkok and um they found said device she as like I mean you know you, you've probably both been to Savarnaboom airport there's just like it's just constant you know the, the amount of people coming through she is digging through her stuff in the suitcase and she doesn't even know she can't even remember that she has this thing <laughs> It's such so a it's such know. a constant companion for her. She didn't know. She doesn't even know what they're looking for. And then like as she's digging through, there's like a moment where it just hits her. And I think that at that moment I knew too. I mean, I'm just standing back watching this unfold <laughs> and um providing no support or anything whatsoever. And um <laughs> and oh my and then well, and then she just produces it and there's you know there's like, there's, did it there's go off? Of, like, I mean, no, it didn't go off. It didn't go off. I can't admit to that. No, <laughs> oh the whole suitcase is like shaking around. No, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> Say that because that's a great part. But no, she just produced it. Um, in her, in in the defence of the person, it wasn't like you know, particularly outrageously um, um, gigantic or anything. <laughs> it was just. It was just, it was just, it was just an implement. And then I realized what it was. And I, I you know. Embarrassment. It was wow. A it, was, it, was a, it was a moment. So there you go. If that counts as a great custom story, then. Was it apprehended? <laughs> That's one of the was best it, I've heard. Was, was she was, able to keep it? Or did she have no, to. It wasn't, it's, they're against the law. She, it, it, was, it, was, it was removed and destroyed. Well, for our listeners, they need to know that that's that's forbidden in Thailand to bring those in. I guess, right? Uh, yeah, maybe I, you know what? Maybe maybe we've just maybe we've just stumbled on the most important piece of advice in the whole podcast. <laughs> well, I think so because I've been to I've been to Thailand so many times. I've never seen like a poster, or it's not on their list of things like you know, like you know, handguns and no this, no that, no liquids. They don't have a big picture of one of those sitting on oh, their on their toys. poster, right? I never. You can just either, see Greg. women like digging in and taking them out of there as you're standing in line. You see people taking the bottle of water out and stick it in the trash, right? I can just see a bunch of people standing in line taking those out and putting them in the trash. Like, oh, I don't want it's my favorite that. one. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're not going to be able to find another one. That's the, uh, I mean, I was, I was very sorry. Did she have a backup somewhere? <laughs> well, I mean, I I couldn't possibly comment any further. I'm already going to get an answer. I'll you. share one real quick. I'll share a yep. quick one with you. In the same area, it was in, in Cambodia, and I was returning to Cambodia, and mine's a little bit more harmless, but a friend of mine, he wanted a sprinkler, because in Cambodia, they don't have sprinklers or anything like that, right? They just hold their thumb over the hose and water things, or it just rains so much. Who needs a sprinkler? And I went to the States and came back with one as a gift. It was like $5 US. So it's this plastic little thing you stick in the ground and you put a hose on it. I got to customs and this woman started going through my carry and I put on my carry on because it's plastic light and it wasn't illegal. But the woman at customs, 
I swear to God, she looked at it for a half an hour trying to find out what it was. And I, I couldn't explain it to her. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's just a, it spreads water. You know, I'm, doing, I'm doing the whole visual of, of a sprinkler dance, right? Greg, and she, she might didn't have thought, understand. She might have thought it was one of those sex toys. <laughs> a, spring, a plastic sprinkler? Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Hey, this is a family. I, this is family. Oh, yes. I keep oh, here. yes. oh my goodness. Uh, I have Thank another goodness. question for you, John, just to get yeah. to know you. What, what's one, what are three things that you might need to carry with you from country to country to make you feel at home? For example, I like to have a bag of ice and I like to have some kind of transportation, which in Thailand was, of course, a moped. And mm-hmm. I also need to have a maid, right? Pay someone to do my ironing. I hate ironing. Is there something <laughs> that something that uh, you've uh, take with you? At the risk of parroting what other people said, because I don't have, like, I recently, maybe in the past two years, really adopted minimalism and so I have my laptop I have my Kindle and then I have like just what I need you know and I I love donating to charity there's some charity shops on the island here that I love donating things that I'm done with you know when I move I see in the job adverts for new schools a moving allowance and I'm like well if you want to pay for my backpack Go on, go I'll on. Get ahead. that money. It's included in the airfare, to be honest, even now. But um, yeah, I mean, I um, marmite. Oh, is that a oh yes. Okay. Yes, marmite. Absolutely. Marmite I, um, is the is the UK version of Vegemite from down under, is it not? Very correct. similar, like a soy product. I remember the first time I ate it. <laughs> it's better. It's from the beer yes. barrels. It's it's the scrapings from beer barrels. Is what oh. it is. I remember the first time I ate it, I thought it was soy sauce. I thought it was soy sauce on bread. Can I tell you, it's not just for the fact that I can have a piece of toast with butter because I can get butter everywhere, but not Marmite necessarily. And you can have that. That is perfect for breakfast, lunch or dinner. Um, But it's also that you can add it to pasta sauces, to Asian dishes, and you just get this amazing umami flavor. And who I knew? I was just going to say that word. Yeah. I love the fifth taste bud. It's the umami effect. Welcome to the ITP cooking show, <laughs> <laughs> an offshoot like podcast. International yes. cooks and teachers. I love We're also it. Also multi-talented. <laughs> John, just so you know, I've been overseas now for over 20 years. When I leave a country and go to another country, I still arrive with two suitcases only. I've never used my moving in allowance. Mm-hmm. I've always pocketed the cash if they'd allowed me. And if they don't, then I don't know what I've done with it. It's usually some minimal amount. So good for you. Keep up the minimalism. Right? Yeah, I was just going to chime in on the fact that um, being the opposite end of that range, um, I would definitely recommend the minimalist route just simply because it's so much easier and it's so less emotionally wrenching when you get your boxes in any kind of condition. When I moved here from China to Mexico, 54 boxes sat on a loading dock during rainy season in Puerto Vallarta. So <laughs> oh, you can imagine. Did you get the stress. gringo tax on that too? Did you have a of gringo course, tax we on had, your boxes? You know, we had the emails coming in saying, oh, we're going to need another $1,000. And this was during COVID. Oh. So the prices were out 
of this world. And I've never oh paid so much for a God. shipment. When I received a photo of my disintegrated boxes on a port saying, yes, we're trying to get your shipment on a, on a truck to you. And I saw the condition of these boxes. I'm telling you, it was heart wrenching. So take it from me. Minimalist would be the best way to go if you can do it. Because of course, you know, my carpets were the biggest worry. I was just like picturing moths, mildew, everything imaginable, you know, sewage. I didn't know what was happening to my carpets, but the good news is everything came out fine. They were nasty, but then I just got them professionally cleaned and insurance covered it. But, um, but take it from me, you do not want to go the route of 54 boxes. Well, I mean, just on on that note, my mum loves to send me boxes for birthdays and Christmas, you know, as mothers do. And all the boxes that come to Thailand must route through the Middle East, you know, every time. (laughs) It took like maybe the fourth box to be ruined by chocolate for me to finally get the message through that please stop sending chocolate in the mail because it is going to sit in Dubai for a week or even for an hour (laughs) in those blistering desert sun. And the the chocolate is going to melt into all the lovely clothes and nice things that you've bought me, you know? So you, you learn, you learn these things. All comes with experience. That's what makes international so much fun, John. Some of these things you said, it's been a great conversation about where your journey takes you. John, it's been so great to have you on the show. Can you give us a few last words of wisdom or feelings, anything you want to share with our listeners before you come back and visit again? Yes, I certainly shall because it's been so much fun. There's cliches in this industry for a reason. Like when someone says, uh, the best time is was yesterday and the next best time is today, things like that. I would say that the industry is full of people that are exciting, that have this, this verve for life. And you never know where it will take you, but you'll quickly get, get this appreciation for adaptation and change. Even if you don't stay in international teaching for the rest of your career, that understanding that that change, you know, change happens to everyone is a thing that some people don't get or don't get it taught at all in their life and it hits them later. Doing this job and choosing this career makes you feel so comfortable with change. And I think that's amazing for the rest of your life. I think also the whole idea that your life will never be the same again. Once you've Mm -hmm. taken that step onto the plane, landed, and you're now an international teacher in in a new country, perhaps with a new language, new food, everything, your life will never be the same. It'll never and you be know, the same. And, you know, I have yet to meet anyone who has told me that they regret it. Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, maybe maybe I've just not met the right person. <laughs> well, I can introduce you to a few. You're a little green on this, okay? <laughs> well, thank you so much, John, for being our guest. And like I said, I do want you to come back. This is... Uh, Greg, the single guy, and we've got JP Mint with us, and we'll see Kent next time. But John, you're welcome to come back to our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, John from Scotland, Glasgow. We'll never forget. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. JP's got to have some marmite, right? She's got to start trying that stuff, right? That's your one takeaway. Try marmite.